All right, this is a, a pretty epic episode of the Behind the You podcast because we have our first current player. He is none other than Lou Headley, the punter, the man with all the tattoos, the man from down under. Lou Headley, thank you for joining us here on Behind the You and telling your story. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and sort of share my story. And- Absolutely. So let me ask you this real quick. We call you Sweet Lou, but do any of the boys call you Sweet Lou? <laughs> nah, it's just Lou. Big Lou, Lou. Okay, so that's just our thing, the Sweet Lou. Yeah, I like it. You like it. Good. We'll go with that during the season. You wear 94. Do you wear that because of the rock? I've read that you were a big fan of his. Is that why you wear 94? Yeah, I think I did. I was a huge fan of him growing up. I watched a lot of, you know, as a kid, me and my older brother watched him a lot. And I didn't really have a, I wasn't really set on a number coming into Miami. I didn't really have, you know, a favorite number. I need to wear this. I need to wear that. And obviously realizing he used to play here and that he used to wear 94, I thought it'd be a cool little thing if I uh, put the 94 on my back in the name of uh, the big fella. Now, when you say you watched him, are we talking movies? Or are we talking wrestling? Oh, uh, wrestling. Wrestling, yeah. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little older, so I used so I was watching him when he was, you know, in WWE and all that stuff. So it was good. Who else was your guy besides The Rock, or was it was it just him? Uh, Stone Cold. I like Stone Cold, Undertaker, Kane, all the all the OGs. I saw that was my time growing up as a kid. That's that's what I was getting played. So you know, all the legends they obviously grew out of it, but uh, it was uh, it was a good time. All right, so we're definitely going to get into your story. A couple of quick things. So there's another Australian punter on the team, Nelson Foley. Did you have your hand in that? Uh, I think they definitely asked me questions leading to the recruitment of Nelson. Um, he's from the same academy as me, Pro Kick Australia. They sort of transition punters, you know, that used to play Australian rules football our whole life. And you sort of join this academy, Pro Kick, and they teach you the fundamentals and the different mechanics of punting an American ball. So I hadn't actually met him before he came over here. And um, obviously, they wanted to get another punter from the same academy I come from, sort of follow me. And uh, yeah, we've seen some film. I was he looked at film with the coaches with him and yeah he's pretty good and he's finally here I think he's still finding his feet he's been here for about two weeks but super excited to kind of show him the ropes and you know show him everything I can to get another great punter here at the University of Miami so since you've been through this before if you gave him like a couple of words of wisdom like if you're telling him hey buddy here's a good place to go eat where are you telling him to go at uh, the moment, I think the specialists just tend to go to Sports Grill. We, we love Sports Grill. We, uh, we go there probably once or twice a week, catch up as close to campus. You can kind of go straight after whatever. If the night finishes up here with meetings, you can go there. and It's just close by, but um, there's plenty of good restaurants around the place, but I'll definitely be showing him around. Anything else about Miami that was like that threw you off that you're just like, hey, let me just listen to me on this one. I got you. And any wise words of wisdom for our friend? Well, first of all, I told him, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the campus is actually in Coral Gables. I sort of just try and explain to him where the city is. Everything's within 20 minutes, you know, where the beaches are and all that stuff. So, you know, he came at a pretty hectic time through, I think it was like two days into camp. So he, you know, got thrown into the deep end. And to be honest, I haven't really had much time to show him around and, you know, do the normal stuff that I would showing someone around Miami because we've been flat out, you know, pretty much living here at the facilities. So, He's just been thrown straight into, you know, just football. And, you know, he's picking it up really quick. I think before coming here, he hadn't caught a snap from a long snapper. 
you know, he's just been getting it. He's been catching footballs out of hand. So just everything from that, having a rush coming at you, you know, just all the little things that is good for him to get out there and get thrown into it. And, you know, he's getting better. Let's tackle that a little bit. So when you say by hand, uh, obviously, as it, for American football purposes, we understand snap, and then you're either you're going to punt it either, you know, American style, Aussie style, you know, rugby kick it, how you do it. But how would he be kicking it back home? How are you guys kicking it when you're playing Australian rules football? That's the difference. Yeah, so we do the kind of, we call them drop punts. It's kind of, you'll see me doing it, um, you know, the last two years, the rollout end over end, which worked pretty well in a college game. But that's how we pass the ball in our sport. It's kind of the same. You drop the ball a little different, ball's a little smaller and probably a little, the sweet spot's a little different. Yes, yeah, so we just transition from that. But, you know, our main focus is spirals. Like we get taught to kick spirals throughout our time at the academy. You know, we have to kick big spirals um, in order to the coaches to suggest to schools where we want to go and stuff like that. So that's how we pretty much get so good at that rollout scheme because we've been doing it our whole lives. And that's from since I could walk, I think, you know, my dad put a football in my hand and, you know, I was kicking kick to kick um, with my brother and, you know, just grew up loving the sport of Australian rules football. So yeah, the transition's pretty easy coming into college. I think the rules are a little different. The rollout rules in college are a little different. So you can't actually really do that in the league to say but just that's pretty much the background of how we grew up kicking is just in our sport that's that's how you pass the ball i got you but when you said snapping there's no snapping in australian roost football yeah so it's just you just catch and kicks or handballs we call it so if at practice usually you know say if you don't have a long snapper here you just get someone sort of spiraling in a ball just out of the hands kind of to you or a jugs machine. So it is a little different. I remember my first time coming over to San Francisco. and um, That's what I was telling him. You know, I was just trying to remember how I felt when I first come to the States and had that live rush, had, you know, a long snapper throwing it between their legs. Uh, yeah, it was a little different than catching out of a jugs or someone's hand. So just adapting to all that is really important. And, you know, he's in a great position to kind of pick my brain apart and ask me any questions, you know, while I'm here. Two other things about the guys on the team for now, and then we'll get into the journey. So you you are good friends with De'Ara King, correct? Uh, yes, sir. So how, how did that bond happen? How did you guys, a guy from Australia, a kid from Houston, quarterback, punter, how had that relationship kind of come to be? You know, when he first came here, I thought, you know, he's going to be the obviously the, the future leader of this team. And I thought it was important for me to, you know, get to know him a little more. As I'm a little, you know, older, I look at myself as one of the leaders of the team also. So, you know, I got to talking with Derek. Um, we hang out quite a bit. You know, I'm always at his house or we're going out for dinner and stuff like that. But he's great. He's got, you know, he's like that with, you know, most of the team. So his bond, he seems to have a bond with everyone. And I think that's why he's such a great leader of this football team. And um, yeah, everyone loves, you know, following him and it's great. So what is it? You hear all the coaches say it, but I want to hear it from a player's perspective. Everyone speaks so highly about him. Like, what is it about him? He's really just a down-to-earth guy. He, you know, is very genuine and honest. I just think he's just got a good presence about him, great energy. And, you know, he leads the team well and everyone wants to follow him, like I was saying before. Everyone listens when he speaks and obviously he performs on the field. That's important too. So, I mean, he's a great dude and, you know, he's going he's gonna to do great things no matter what he's doing. So if the specialists go to Sports Grill, when you and the, and the big man go to dinner, where, where are you guys going? 
I'm trying to think. There's a few places in Wynwood. I think it's called the Butcher Shop. I think I've been there with Derek a few times. So that's good. But he's usually the specialists are with me too. So we're all hanging out together. You know, it's a, the specialists. I think we went around there not too long ago for the UFC fights. We go around there and hang out. So, I mean, I think this team it says a lot about this team in general. Definitely since I've been here, the connections that the whole team has from freshmen to the seniors is like a really tight bond. And, you know, I'm really enjoying this spring, summer, and now into fall camp. What this team looks like, you know, in the locker room not even talking on the field just you know the team as a whole you know the connection the team has off the football field is fantastic that's awesome last thing are you ama- how amazed are you at his recovery he, he's been going crazy so you know seeing him run i think um i forgot when it was i think it was a spring or summer uh, you know seeing him do the sprints for the first time was such a good feeling you know watching him run around and he's he lives in the facility you know we usually get a break between meetings and practice you know I usually get about three hours off to just to go home and relax rest up a bit before practice and you know he's here i don't think he leaves he stays here for that three hours he's in the facility from when he gets here in the morning to when you know practice is over and, and all the rest is done so he really does live here and you know he's doing everything he can to be the best version of himself i think he's going to do great things this year all right i want you to tell me about the town you grew up in a small fishing town lehman australia give me the details on that yeah so that's pretty much the earliest i can remember as a kid is growing up in a tiny town, I think, yeah, the population was about 800. So there was not much out there. The nearest city was Perth, and that was about a four, four and a half hour drive. So, you know, growing up as a kid, that was great. You know, we lived right on the beach. So you lived in the water growing up. My dad was like a, a cray fisherman, which you guys call them lobsters, I think. Yeah, lobsters. So, like, I was on his boat, been out to do whatever when I was a kid, just run around through the bush and all that stuff was great. And I didn't move into the city area suburbs so I was about 12. So I lived a really good childhood growing up. That must have been a lot of fun. Yeah, it was good. You know, with my older brother, we were snorkeling, we go fishing. Yeah, it's pretty much everything you could ask for growing up. When did you, you mentioned before you had a ball in your hand with your dad. When did you get introduced to Australian rules football? That's probably one of the first things I ever did get introduced to as a kid. So I can't ever remember not knowing about Australian rules football. Growing up, my dad played in a team. The the town I played for, the Lehman Marlins, he played in, you know, growing up, I got to watch my dad play. So the town was pretty small, though. So I had to play football with, like, my brother, who's three years older than me in that league. So, you know, you're playing because the population is so small. You're sort of playing, you know, there's no real age limit. It's just everyone was just playing. So taught me how to play ball pretty quick so let me ask you this so when i was growing up australian rules football used to be broadcast on espn late at night so i mean i've watched it i can't tell you i know all the rules know all the positions but so you're a punter in american football like what position did you play in australian rules football how tough was the sport like were you one of those guys that were getting physical and getting after it like talk to me about that yeah i think you got to so it's hard to briefly explain the sport because you know, from an outsider, it's a pretty complicated gig, but it's pretty much, you know, the field is huge. Everyone has, you got to know how to kick the ball. That's the only way you can sort of progress up the field. But I was a fullback. So pretty much if the opposition team missed when they shot at goal, I would have the ball and kind of kick out from my line of defense. So I've always had a good kick and you sort of do have to have a good kick if you're the fullback coming out, but you have to be physical. You know what I mean? I was a defensive player, so you kind of have to be a little gritty and dirty at times, but you know, it's a great sport. I haven't watched it in a while. I started watching it again. I think the season's still gone now and it was cool watching, you know, a couple of games the other night. I didn't really recognize many people, but um, you know, that's, that's the spirit of Australia. That sport really kicks off over there. And, you know, if you ever got a chance to be in Australia while the season's on, I highly suggest going and watching the game. 
So it's kind of like a soccer match in Europe, like kind of like the videos you would see there, just kind of a wild pack kind of deal. I don't know if there's some videos in Europe. I don't think it's that crazy. I think you'd be able to bring your kids to an Australian rules football game. I don't, I don't think I'm bringing your kids to them Euro sports games. All right, so let me ask you, you said it'd be tough and gritty. So like, come on, did you knock, lay some people out? Like, give me the scoop. Like, did you put some people on the ground? Um, you have to do it. You have to do it clean. Everything's clean. You know, we've got refs as well, so you can't be too bad. But the rules are different. You can kind of, you know, we don't wear pads or helmets, so you're always kind of hitting the ground pretty tough. But you just got to be, you know what I mean? There's always push shoves. I think there's a rule. I think it's been changed since I've gone. But when you get in fights, or if there's a fight, the rule is um, you're not allowed to punch someone or you get a card and you're off the field. But if you hold them by the jersey and like punch with whilst holding the jersey, like a, it's called a, we call it a jumper punch. It was like clean and you don't get fouled. So everyone, if in a brawl, you just see everyone grabbing the collars of the jersey and like punching. So you don't really want to wear a baggy jersey because you get caught up in the mix of that. Someone can pretty much just knock you out. All right. So give me on the spot. Give me three guys on the team that you think would be excellent Aussie rules football players. Uh, first, I think Restrepo would be a weapon at Ford Pocket. Yeah, you could put Mike Harley as a midfielder. And I'm just trying to think maybe a defensive player. Maybe Bubba Bolden would be a good halfback flank. There you go. Okay, I got it. I was thinking when you were talking about all the grit that it might be a good sport for Amari. Yeah, no, Amari would be great. I'd put him on the other flank. Him and Bubba would be, be great. Yeah, you wouldn't, wouldn't want a man up on those to tell you that much. Yeah, no more ejections, dude. He'd be like the rock, dude. He'd be like, he'd be a celeb. Yeah. <laughs> I also, in doing my research for this, so you, you got so involved in Australian rules football, it, it kind of hurt the grades a little bit when you were in high school, huh? Yeah, I think I played a lot of, you know, I went to a football program school, so pretty much they specialize in Australian was footy but you know growing up I didn't you know I had no intentions to go to university out of high school my brother left school he had a pretty successful business in uh, roofing so he put color bond sheets on roofs and you know he was doing really well and seeing that I was like you know what I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go work with my brother and as soon as I locked that in my mind, I kind of drifted away from school and I'd be working with my brother, you know, two or three times a week and, you know, just gradually just ended up leaving school. I think it was like grade 10 or 11, just dropped out of school and got straight into the workforce. You know, working with my older brother was great. So when you were playing Australian rules football or you were in high school, was it your dream to play professionally? Like, was that what you wanted to do? Yeah, growing up, that was definitely my dream. It's a little different over here. We pretty much get drafted out of high school. It's not like, not from high school football, but, you know, that age bracket. So I was still playing semi-pro footy at the time and working. That's, it was all, you know what I mean? Because you just got to be at practice like three or four times a week. But I'd work, you know, and my brother would let me take time off for the footy. But over time, I sort of, just, I was in and out of like semi-pro and I just went, you know, started enjoying playing football at a local level. It was, you know, a lot more fun and enjoyable for myself. So that, you know, the AFL dream kind of drifted away. But, you know, a lot of my friends play pro football back home. So obviously I'd go watch a lot of their games. And, you know, it's when leading into my decision to come over here and give this a crack, I kind of thought, you know, what, it'd be, you know, nice to be on the other side of the fence and, you know, having people, you know, cheer for the team I play for. And, you know, coming over here to the University of Miami, it's it's been... um you know, a dream come true. And it's very cool playing like at a level like this. Let's fill in the dots a little bit between kind of going into the business with your brother and getting to UM. So he was a roofer and you were a scaffolder or is kind of one in the same? Yeah, so I started off as a, just work with my brother for about a year, just helping him out 
um, when he needed it. Um, I actually was living a pretty nice life. I was, you know, the days I wasn't working with my brother, I was just chilling or going to the beach or hanging out with friends. So, you know, coming out of high school, I kind of relaxed. But my dad and mum always, you know, after this year, you know, you got you to gotta go out there and figure out what you want to do in this world. And I worked with my brother, and which was good because it kind of got me into, you know, what it takes, you know, getting up early, uh, working really hard. It gave me a really good work ethic. So then from the football team I played for, there was a scaffolding opportunity where one of the old players sort of had a business in scaffolding. And I just tried that out um, for a couple of days and started working full time and did that for about seven years. So that was a great job for myself. It pays really well. Yeah, it's been good. From scaffolding, how high do you get up? We get up pretty high. We do all the big tanks, like giant tanks. You see it like I did work at like an aluminum refinery alcoa it's actually an american company uh, so we'll go into the giant tanks and just scaffold that out without to do the cleans but yeah i've been on some pretty high buildings it's gets the adrenaline going but you always harness up and stuff like that but you know i liked it it was physical you know kept you fit all the boys i used to work with were really cool so it was just a good crew and you know a really good life so in seven years, Lou, that's a pretty long time. So I guess, did you see it just continuing along that path? Like, did you think you were just going to, that was going to be what you were doing professionally? For a long time, yeah. I think my plan was obviously to keep working my way up in that industry. You don't want to be a scaffolder the whole time. You can, if you want, you can kind of work your way up to supervisor, superintendent and keep, you know, climb the ladder. But um, I was pretty happy where I was. And, you know, the plan was, you know, I'm going to, you know, save for a house or, you know, I was going to go travel the world for a little bit. So I saved a little bit of money to go do that. I got my British passport. And I was going to go live in Europe and just travel around and experience, you know, another part of the world. I thought that was really important for me to get out of Australia before I locked down in a mortgage or, you know, get a house and all that stuff. I thought, you know what, I'd, I want to go experience a little bit. And just as I saved all that money, one of my friends told me about Pro Kick Australia. And, you know, he's like, you got a huge leg. You need to try this out. And, you know, I was a bit skeptical. I was like, what is this? I didn't even know what college football was. Watch a few clips on YouTube. I was like, it looks insane. Like, I might as well give it a shot and see if I can get into this academy. And, yeah, I went for a kind of a tryout workout with one of the coaches. And, you know, they said I had a really good, you know, opportunity and chance to make it to a big school. And here I am at Miami. So it worked out well. All right. So we're obviously going to pick up on that. But real quick, somewhere in between all this, too, didn't you move to Bali? Yes, I was in Bali. So that was before I started. I was living in Bali, you know, on and off. That's so close to uh, Australia. It's so like a two and a half, three hour flight. So I got a tattoo shop there with one of my best friends, Nathan Wilson, who plays professional football back home at the moment. Me and him just lived in over there. Well, he, he was at home, but I lived in a villa in a place called Changu in Bali. And my tattoo shop there, you know, I'll just come in and out and just in reception so that was, that was really fun i was probably there for about 18 months so the tattoo shop what did you do there what was your responsibility so i'd come in and out um i'd kind of just be the receptionist and just talk with people tourists coming through but really i was in and out of the shop whilst living there and i would also work as a scaffolder back home like i'd work away so my roster would be like say two weeks on two weeks off or four weeks on one week off and on my weeks off, I'll just come to Bali and just hang out and, you know, experience that place because that's an amazing spot too, Bali. Um, you know, it's and it really taught me the fundamentals because it was a good experiencing, you know, a third world country and, you know, living that sort of lifestyle too and experiencing that. So, you know, my whole life, I've always been curious of, you know, going out and exploring the world. And, and then I sold 
half of my share of the tattoo shop to actually go to Juco. With the uh, tattoo shop at this point, are you tatted up pretty good? Like, are you already into the tattoo ink world? Yeah, so that's, I already had a lot of tattoos. Um, they finished off one of my arm, which was good. But, you know, obviously living living in Bali, day to day, you'd have a few beers, get a tattoo, and that's kind of how it went. So pretty dangerous combination when you're chilling over there, but it's a fantastic place and it's full of beautiful people. All the locals there are amazing. And that was a great part of my life and I really enjoyed it. All right. So you mentioned this Pro Kick Australia. So share a little more of the details with me. So like you're just kind of scaffolding and going back and forth to Bali and, and, and someone just says to you, hey, Lou, you should give this a try. Like how, how does, I mean, that's pretty random. Yeah. So I had the shop in Bali and I was saving to go travel Europe and stuff at the same time. So I had, you know, I was building up some cash and then one of my friends told me about a player Ike used to play football with you know he went and gave it a shot and yeah he, he was going to move to San Francisco to a junior college and all that and you know, I didn't really know too much about it so I just sent uh, Nathan Chapman one of the coaches there at Pro Kick a message and you know he's kind of explained it to me and I told him I obviously didn't finish high school and he told me about you know the junior college route and what you know what junior college is and, and all of that so I kind of you know I had to think about it for about three or four months and then once I decided I wanted to do it yeah I haven't looked back so I moved to Melbourne after that and it's been great and Juco was an interesting time but it was, it was good fun. Did you have to like apply to get in the Pro Kick Australia like and, and how long were you there? Yeah so um, you don't really have to apply you kind of just go for an evaluation and they kind of just um, let you know you know what sort of leg you have and if you've got potential to go to certain places and they're really honest and they give you a fair evaluation, you know what I mean? If you're there, they're going to tell you, you know, you've got D1 talent or D2 talent and what you have to do to get there. So, I mean, it's a really good little system. And then they're based in Melbourne, which is three hours out of her three-hour flight. So I flew over there. Actually, one of my friends from Lehman, the small town we were talking about earlier, he actually moved to Melbourne when I was a kid. And I hadn't spoken to him for about 10 years. And I called him up and, you know, I had a, he said, i got a spot there to live. And I moved there and started training with Pro Kick Australia. So, no, I was there for about six months, seven months. And usually you'd stay there for probably a year or two but because of the junior college route I kind of wanted to get the ball rolling and you know I was out of there pretty quick so you said they're pretty honest with you how they assess you they said they'll, they'll tell you if you're d1 d2 what did they tell you I kind of had a pretty good idea I watched a lot of film and I was watching a few of the other Aussie boys you know that were in college at that time so I um I had an evaluation with the coach in Perth and the day we had the kick it started pouring down with rain so you couldn't even get a really an honest look of how it goes but yeah, I had a pretty good idea. I've always had a pretty big kick in footy growing up. So I kind of just backed myself and yeah, it's been great. Which kind of kicking is this? Aussie kicking or American kicking? It's a bit of both because at the start, it's really hard to transition because you kick spirals in, in Australian rules football. You can kick spirals of the ball just like here, but the ball's so different. The ball drop has to be, you know, an American ball, the ball has to be so perfect to be able to hit a big spiral. Back home, the ball is a lot fatter, kind of like a rugby ball. So you can kind of, you know, the sweet spot's huge. So just, you know, learning how to get the ball drop right is is the first sort of mechanics they tell us to to learn when we first get there, kind of like getting the ball, catching it, turning the ball. And the two steps is a little weird too because in footy, you can kind of roll you got kind of a, a run-up type deal to, to kick the ball. So obviously in football over here, you sort of got to catch it and you got the two steps, you know, within three to four yards to get rid of the ball. So learning how to generate power off two steps is 
a little weird for me, but it's just repetitions, repetitions to get better and better. And Juco was a perfect spot for me to go over there. And, you know, I just lived with a football in my hand 24-7. You know, I was kicking every day. So that was a that was a good spot for me to just to, to get there and just lock into football and learn about the game before coming over to a, to a program like Miami. So before you go to San Francisco, you know almost nothing about American football, correct? Hadn't seen the sport, really know nothing about it. Yeah, obviously, I see highlights of the Super Bowl and stuff like that. I didn't really, I thought it was, you know, purely because I didn't know the rules of football. I didn't really watch it. And every time I watched it, I think it was a little boring. It just, there's a lot, it's a stop start. Uh, Australian rules football is just, there's no offsides. It's 30 minute quarters. It's just a full go ahead. So when I watched American football, I didn't understand why, you know, there were so many stops and starts and why the other team comes on so much and, and all this. But, you know, once, once learning about, football now i'd much rather watch an american football game than an australian football game you were making the venture from pro kick australia to the city college of san francisco i guess my question would be how'd you pick that school before heading there i had um pro kick kind of advise me what sort of juco routes to take and i chose city college because before me there was three punters there that um you know used that pipeline and they were all at really good Division One programs. So I just followed the footsteps of the punters before me. I seen, you know, the previous punters there got a nice school, so I thought it must be a pretty good spot just to keep that pipeline going. Now, you mentioned before you're kind of adventurous, right? Like, so I imagine just getting on a plane and going to San Francisco was no big deal. Um, yeah, it was a little different. Um, I've always known someone where I've been gone. So, you know, in Bali, I had friends there, but San Francisco was really the first place I'd been where I didn't know anybody. And it was so far away from home as well, you know, in the past, you know, but like I said, Bali's a two and a half, three hour flight. But when you come to America, it's 30 hours of flying pretty much, sometimes more. So, you know, it's a long way from home. But yeah, I was, I was definitely scared coming over here. But at the same time, I was super excited and yeah, it went really well. So, like, how'd you figure out where to live? Like, who, who was helping you when you got on the ground? So, coach there, Coach Nuno, who is the offensive line coach, he takes care of all the international students, and he was a great mentor for myself. While being at junior college, you know, he showed me the ropes, and he got everything sorted for me, and I jumped in a, an apartment there with about 12 other footballers. Was, I heard. <laughs> how was that? I was full on at the start. I really didn't enjoy it. You know, I come from living in a nice three-bedroom house with one of my best friends back home, you know, living a pretty nice life to, you know, coming over there and sharing one bathroom between 12 dudes. I think there was like three of us in, in every bedroom, you know, we had bunk beds set up and everything. So it was a unique experience for sure. So there's definitely no social distancing going on there, huh? <laughs> nah, if, if COVID was around back in 2017, 18, there was, there would have been a problem for sure. Yeah, I got you. So for the bathroom, dude, you better be first in line, right? Yeah, there was always a line, always someone banging on the door, you know. Did you like San Francisco? Yeah, it's a beautiful city. You know, it's a little different. I didn't get to experience it as much as I would have liked just because junior college is really expensive and I didn't really have money to go and explore and do cool things. But, you know, I was mainly just there football and kind of going back to the apartment. But um, I did get to see a few things, you know, riding over the Golden Gate Bridge a few times. I went and seen the Pine Forest up there. Just the city itself is kind of in their own little bubble. It's different from anywhere else. So if you haven't seen San Fran, it's it's a great little spot to go check out. And yeah, it's amazing. So I guess you said it's expensive. So were you paying your own way to go to Juco? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Um, I kind of had money saved up to go travel the world and experience something and I kind of used all that money for junior college is it also true you arrived like three days before the season 
Yeah, it was a thing. I got there on like the Saturday, straight off the plane, they were practicing. Um, and then I pretty much slept for about three days. And then, yeah, it was, it was game week. So I think my first, you know, live period was about two days before the game. First time I'd had a rush coming at me or caught a ball from a long snapper. So that was definitely, you know, that was super weird for me just you know, I had to, I've been working on my steps all this time and you realize they're completely different and had to sort of adjust myself to, you know, what was coming at me. So first year at JUCO was definitely a really good learning experience for me. And I'm really glad I got to do it at that level instead of, you know, coming straight here and getting thrown straight into it. So in terms of like, I assume you're talking about kind of more American punting than rugby punting. Are you talking, so I assume at Pro Kick Australia, they're teaching you that, but still it was an adjustment once you got to City College or am I off on that? No, you're right. It's like we still do the rollouts. I did um, a lot of rollouts at City College too. But you sort of just, you don't know what the timing's like. You know what I mean? Like you don't really feel for what a rush is like. You know, when you're practicing, you kind of just go through the motions, you know, just hitting balls really. And then once you get, you know, just that added token of pressure as well. You got the coaches watching you. You got people trying to block the pun. It's just like a different feel and, you know, the adrenaline gets going. And it took me took me about throughout that first freshman year to sort of get used to everything. And it, it helped me a lot now. All right. So let me ask you this. Do you remember the, your first punt in game action? Do you, do you recall that vividly by any chance? I don't really. I think I had so much adrenaline. Kind of, kind of like a blur now. I'm running out there. It's a horrible, horrible place to punt. It's it's really windy. It's on like the top of a hill in San Francisco, and it's just an absolute wind tunnel. But I remember, I think I had a pretty good first game. I just sort of aimed for the boundary. I was keeping them pretty low. You know, numbers wise, it wasn't wasn't great on stats. You know, my first year, but it was definitely like I said, just it was great to get out there and just experience it, and you know, get my feet in there and experience college football. So if I have this. Right, you only played one year, right? At JUCO, you redshirted your second year. Is that if I have that right? Yes, yeah, so I played my first year, and like I said, my numbers weren't great. I think I averaged 38 yards, which you know, on on paper, that doesn't really qualify for Division One school or Power Five school. But I knew I was a lot better than that. Like I said, I think half of it was just getting used to everything. I think I. I was to play another year. It would have had a lot better year, but um, I trusted in myself and just backed myself. I knew that pro kick would help me, you know, get coaches to come out and watch me. And, you know, I had faith in myself just being able to, you know, get a, a coach down there in like live, live reps to be able to watch me. And they'll, they'll realize that I've got a lot bigger leg than, you know, what the paper shows. So the thought process was, was I assume, red shirts, you have an extra year of D1 eligibility. Was that the thought process? And where, who advised you on that? Who gave you, who, who kind of told you, hey, Lou, I think it's, uh, let's try this route. Yeah, I wanted to have three years at college at least. So I, my coaches weren't that happy at junior college. They were really trying to get me to play. But like I said, I just backed myself fully. And yeah, at that time, obviously, we didn't know we were going to get an extra year of COVID. Else I probably would have played. But yeah, it was good now. I just I really wanted that three years in college to sort of cement myself. When does the first major American college come your way? Does your first offer come your redshirt year? Um, Yeah, so I didn't get much interest first year. I just needed to get something on tape. And then really... Towards the, yes, my redshirt year, you know, throughout the season, I started communicating with teams. I was um, close, you know, I was talking with Purdue a lot, but it really come down to Mississippi State and Miami at the end. It was, uh, it was between either. Oh my God. Can you imagine yourself in Starkville? Yeah, I know. It was a, would have been interesting. But yeah, both spots, obviously, at the time when I'm in JUCO. Um, at that time, I think I was talking to both coaches. And, you know, my thought process, you know, being at junior college for two years was like, you know, I'm going to take any big program that comes my way. And obviously, blessed that Miami was one of them. 
Um, I really wanted to go to Miami, but um, at the time, I think so. It was a Sunday night, and um, Mississippi State called me there and said that, you know, we're going to come watch you kick tomorrow. We want to see some rollouts and spirals. I said, oh, sweet. They really needed a guy. So it was pretty much, you know, I'm sure I was positive that he was going to offer me, you know, that Monday morning. And I notified Miami and said, you know what, Mississippi State are coming tomorrow. I think they're going to offer me. So I just want to let you guys know. And then about 20 minutes later, I got a phone call from Coach Hartley and he had got a verbal offer. So I, I know I verbally committed. Good work by you. You worked the system good there, man. You need to get, you need to be like a recruiting advisor when this is all done. You played your hand perfect. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, and I was telling Mississippi State, you know, I was like, look, um, I might get offered by Miami and they were kind of like, nah, like we're going to come see you tomorrow, whatever. Then I had to call and say, look, <laughs> Miami just offered me. So you're going to have to cancel your flights. <laughs> oh, so they offered you and you, that was it. As soon as they offered, you were in. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, I told, you know, I'm a man of my word. I said, if you um, offer me, I'm not going to do anything else. So as soon as they offered, you know, I, learned, I notified Mississippi State and they had to cancel their flights to come see me. All right. So we know what happens when you kind of pick Miami, the, the social media sensation you become. From this standpoint, Lou, were you surprised or, or shocked or blown away? How did you take all of that that was coming at you, right? Because I've all, you know, you're not the guy that the image was portraying. So how did you receive all of that attention that was coming and the way you were being portrayed for people that didn't even know you? Yeah, it was wild. I mean, that was a wild month for me. I wasn't actually in America. I was back home. So I verbally committed, you know, during kind of late in the season, 2018 season. And then I went back home after that for about three months. I actually went back to scaffolding for um, three or four months back home before coming back over here for the summer. So I was just at work. I think I signed, I went into my, into like my supervisor's office with my hard hat and everything on and signed the forms and got him to send it back to Miami. And I guess I was a day early. I was the first signee because we're 12 hours in front, so I could legally do it. And uh, yeah, it just absolutely blew up. I remember just being in the, uh, the scaff truck with all my mates, you know, ready to do a job in ESPN, put a photo of me up on their Instagram. And that's when I really, you know, it really hit me. I was like, well, this is about to be pretty wild. And, you know, just blew up from there. What was like, if you remember, like something that was said or something that was written that you just kind of laughed at and you were like, man, they have no clue. They <laughs> were like, this is hilarious. Um, Yeah, I guess the photo that was taken on me in Juco, I was a lot bigger, I think. So kind of looked like a, <laughs> I looked like a mug photo. You've probably seen it when I'm throwing up the U. But, you know, all the photos, I've got a great sense of humor. I don't take anything to heart. So um, me and my, you know, me and my old boy, we're laughing at, you know, a lot of them. You know, all the jail jokes and just the way I look, I think. I, I thought it was hilarious. That's awesome. So you get over to Miami. So what do you think of Miami when you first, the city or Coral Gables? What do you think when you first step foot kind of to campus or off the plane in the city or your first kind of, you know, as you've seen your kind of second place in the States? Once you got here, what did you think of it? Um, yeah, I instantly fell in love with it. Like I said, from the start, I really wanted to play for Miami. So it was very surreal going through all that. And, you know, getting off the plane, I remember feeling the heat when you walk out of the airport very actually very similar weather to Bali so it's kind of like, like muggy humid you know obviously there's a rainy season here but you know I love it I love the heat I love that it doesn't really get cold here for being a specialist you get to punt in paradise kicking paradise every day so campuses 
obviously really beautiful. Yeah, it was amazing seeing the facilities and all that for the first time was was incredible. And then how about just getting on the field the first time, first practice, first live action in terms of, you know, your constant sort of growth and acclimation to American football, right? It was a transition from Australia to City College and City College to D1 Pro Ball. How, how was that transition for you year one? Like I said, it was, it was kind of a blur. I, I got here in the summer. So I remember that vividly because I'd never really done that sort of lifting in my life, you know, prior. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a, Australian football is a lot different. Like we pretty much, we just run. So we just kind of just, we're like cross country runners. We, our preseason involves, you know, three mile time trials, just huge runs, kind of nothing like what we do here. And um, so coming over here and we had to do all the Olympic, Olympic weightlifting and stuff, it definitely took me a while to get used to. And the body was sore for the first month or two, but like with everything, you can slowly get used to it and kind of put me in a good good shape to you know start full camp come on give me a little detail take me inside the weight room what's feely like he's crazy but a good crazy he, he gets everyone going and you know sometimes you, you go in there through summer's tough summer's really tough but i feel like you know if you don't have that feeling of sometimes you really don't want to go in there and do it but i feel like that just means he's he's doing his job you know gets everyone into a point where they feel a little uncomfortable and you know test the team and but at the same time it's bringing everyone together closer you know when everyone's running their one tens or we run on the track everyone's communicating everyone's getting tired and you know it definitely brings us closer coming into fall camp aren't you an early lift guy oh, i was yes yeah. so i did uh i volunteered actually last year for 545 so i did it with all the freshmen coach feely me and uh clay actually went into the early lift coach feely thought it'd be a good idea just to get some of the older boys in there and set an example for the younger guys so i got to go in there and it was actually a great great for me because i got to know all the you know, the incoming freshman a lot more last season because I was in that early lift. It was good. So if you don't mind sharing with me, give me like a, whether it's one of your core lifts that Feely believes in, either bench or squat, give me, give me a number. Big squat guy. He's a big squat guy. Now for you, I'm saying, <laughs> what's your number? So what's your squat? Um, I don't really squat that much. I kind of try to look after my legs, but I think my max bench here, I think it was 345 was what I was benching. I don't, I can't bench that heavy anymore but when i was uh going hard at it i, was, I got to about 345 and he he loved it obviously <laughs> all right lou let, let's get down to the business here man this stat flies under the radar but you are the college football record holder for net punting average from last year that needs to be talked about more dude that that's incredible yeah that's uh you know that's probably my greatest accomplishment um when it comes to punting not just for me but i think it shows how good our team is you know we got the boys we got like you know tc Gervin hall and everyone you know k4 jafari harvey all the boys do a really good job and obviously clay clay is a great snapper and you know he he goes out there and does his job every day so i think you know, it's, it's a great accomplishment for myself. I was very proud of that accomplishment. Obviously, net punt is what you want to aim for. And it just shows, you know, I appreciate, you know, the punt team so much because, you know, they're the, they're the guys running down there and causing fair catches. I just try to put them in the best position as they can to, you know, to make sure there is no return. But how challenging is the little pooch? Like the pooch when you're just trying to drop it inside the 10? Like, I feel like that's like a golf game type of thing. Yeah, that actually comes pretty easy for me just because... Australian rules football, yeah. So, like, kind of I'm pretty good. I generally just try eye up the returner. They usually put their heels on the 10. So, I try just, in a way, just try to pop it up high enough for my uh, gunners to get down there. 
but just try – I kind of look at it as a pass and I just try to pop it up really high because they're going to get out under it regardless. So give the gunners time to go put their heels on the goal line in case, you know, he fakes the catch and they can stop it on there. But, yeah, pretty much just treat it like a pass and just try to pop it up for the gunners. So when you boom one, I mean, when you just nail it, Lude, like, do you know it? Like, do you have that feel if you just rocket one? Uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely in hard rock. I know straight away because it feels like I don't even hit the ball. You when you know you've, you've hit a huge one is when it, you kind of don't feel the ball. You've hit the sweet spot pretty good. And there's no better feeling as a punter when, you know, you hit one in the rock and you just see the ball going up and it kind of takes a while to, you know, start making its way back down. And you can, I sort of hear the crowd as well when it's about halfway through the pun, if it's a good pun or not, you know, you can, if it's a big one, the crowd usually makes some noise. You had a decision this off season to come or stay or go. Is that correct? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah. And was that a hard or easy decision? Um, I think it was pretty easy for me. I told the coaches from the get-go that I'm going to be here for three years. I really wanted to graduate, leave here with, you know, with a degree. And, you know, I've obviously, I'll start my master's this fall. So I really wanted to start my master's as well, regardless of what happens next year. So, you know, I got that done and I told the coaches, you know, I will be here. I told them from the start, even before the season started last year, I said, you don't need to worry about anything leading into next year I'll, i will be staying and i'm not going to change my mind so just didn't want to put that you know burden on them having to worry if i was going to come back or not so i was very transparent and i just like i said i'm a man on my word and I, I wanted to stay here for my third year like i said from the start so it was really not really a big decision for me two follow-ups what do you what you study undergrad and what are you going to get your master's in so I studied sports administration and a minor of sociology and I've just applied for my master's degree in liberal arts. So I'm just waiting to hear back from that, but should be good as a, I really enjoyed my degree because, you know, it's pretty much all sports related. You know, after college, you know, hopefully the NFL, after my football playing career, I'd, I'd love to get back into football, whether it's, you know, recruiting, coaching or whatnot. I just, I really love this, you know, love this college environment and I really want to spend the rest of my life doing it. Awesome. All right. So we, we've talked about the tattoos earlier, but a couple of quick things. I don't want to labor too long, but you have a tattoo of the U on the back of your neck. Yeah. So I got that uh, after, I think it was like after last season. I go on, there's a little gap between my neck that had uh, nothing there and it was just perfect for all of you. So I always told people that I'll, I'll end up getting one and I actually wanted to do something before I did get one. I didn't want to go get a tattoo before doing any work here. So got one after last season and yeah, it fits nicely on the back of my neck. I read that the one that was most painful was the one across your chest because it got into your, uh, I guess we'll say nipples for now. They can edit it out, but is that true? Yeah, so my chest really hurt. The tattoo issues are pretty heavy needle. It's really thick. He wanted to get a thick outline and absolutely ruined me. Yeah, and then he asked if I wanted to leave like a gap around my nipples or like go straight over them. And I thought it'll it look a lot better if it was just all covered. And yeah, that was probably the most agonizing pain I've ever been in my life. What's the tattoo on your chest? What is it? It's like a double, it's a double-headed vulture. Well, I guess the, I guess the pain was appropriate then. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I'm going to put you in the in the cast of like fashion expert. Who's got the best tats on the team? Like who's one that you've looked at and you're like, that's sweet, bro. If I had more space, I might put that on me. I think the best style, I like uh, Bubba Bolden's tattoos are really good. I think if I was to have anyone else tats on me, I think. What's he got? He's just the style of tattoo. He's just like black and white. I like all the, uh, you know, if you look at Bubba's tats, they're all pretty cool and unique. And I just like the style that they're done. He's done a really good job, yeah. Anyone else? 
Clay, long supper Clay. He's got some real good ones. Got to get some love to your guy, right? Yeah, Clay. You know, he's got kind of an Americano thing going on all up his arm and he's got his whole torso covered now with, you know, um, tattoos. But I kind of like that style as well. So probably Clay and Bubba would be the, the two dudes name that I like the tattoos. So speaking of Clay, he's an integral part of your success, right? I mean, how good is he at what he does? I think people just assume long snap, like, oh, just snap the ball. It's, it's easy. No big deal. Yeah, no, he's really good. And, you know, us living together and we're always, you know, we're doing everything together. And whenever he goes for a snap, I go for a kick and vice versa. So we've built really good chemistry and we went through our first year together. You know, we both, we had a very successful year last year in all aspects. You know, Jose come off that absolutely amazing year and that's prompts to Clay as well. You know what I mean? That he's doing it on the shorter snaps and, and the punt snaps. So he's absolutely a weapon at what he does. And it's so nice going out there and not having to worry. I know that I know it's going to be a good snap. You know, that's I don't even have to think about that once. When I'm going out there, that doesn't even cross my mind. You know, I can just focus on the kick because I know it's going to come back to me nice. So how much of a badass was Jose? Eye black, pumped up, rocking it. Uh, yeah, that was that was a great experience having him having him come in here for a year. You know, he was such a professional. He come in here. You know, he was a little quiet in the facility, but um, you know, he just come and he was straight business. He was very confident that he was going to make it to the next level, and yeah, it showed throughout the season. And I'm very proud to be part of you know that year he had winning Lou Groza. All right, so do you follow his little brother's account for the mustache? And have you seen it? I've seen it. I've seen it. We were laughing about it the other day, actually. I told him he's, he's got to keep it now. I told him maybe try to get a uh, NIL deal on uh, a shaver or a raising company or something. There you go. Dude, I, I think the masters are that, that degree in sports admin and, and your recruiting tales are going to come in handy, Lou. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I don't know. I think I think it's staying there, his little mustache. So he's been kicking well, so he should keep it. Last thing, what do you guys all talk about on the sidelines, like during practice? Like when you guys are all, because all, all the specialists kind of huddle up, they're in the corner. What are you guys talking about? sometimes we're just talking about life we just we're always talking about something and you know we're usually commentating on the game we try to think that we're a lot better at analyzing football than we are but <laughs> we, all, <laughs> we all get involved and you know we i think we're the best supporters on the sideline when it comes to game day i hate just as much as everyone else when you know our offense goes out there and doesn't convert a third down and after you go punt so i love just watching the ball fly from the eric and just that whole you know the offense going out there and obviously i love putting the defense in a great position when i go out there and punt you know if i do a big punt a big kick you know i know i've done my job and i've helped the defense out all right, my friend. Well, this was fun. I appreciate it. You're really good. Thanks for taking two days out of two-part recording session to do this. But uh, I think everyone's going to enjoy your story as you took us behind the U, and we're looking forward to a great year from you, buddy. I appreciate that, Josh. Thanks for having me on the show. 